Good morning, friends. So, we were in a series in Genesis uh, a while ago, and we took a break, and now we're back in Genesis. We've been with our friend Abraham for some time now, and we have finally today made it to the base of the mountain that he's going to climb. This today is the most well-known story in the life of Abraham. Story with him and Isaac, the sacrifice. A lot of you know this story, probably know it pretty well. And I, uh, I was walking to the coffee shop with Ryan this week, and I was telling him that I struggle sometimes with the stories that everyone knows. I just prefer to kind of look at some of the things maybe people don't know. And uh, anyways, uh, we got to the coffee shop and I was reminded of really what it means to live in a very secular place. Sitting across from me, there was a, a man uh, my age or a little younger, I suppose. Uh, smart, professional guy. And uh, he told me he was Jewish. And I said, oh, yeah, uh, this Sunday at church I'm talking about Abraham. And he said, who's that? And uh, I told him Abraham's the father of the Jewish people, you know. Uh, but, well, I was reminded of my own family. You know, I didn't grow up going to church, but I remember after being a Christian for some time talking with my sisters who both have master's degrees and neither of them knew who um, David and Goliath were. They didn't know that story. And, you know, you just kind of, you kind of think you know things, right? And so anyways, I went into this uh, story, Abraham and Isaac, and I looked at it. You know, there's parts of the ocean that are so deep that we don't really know what's going on down there. And you can look at a Bible story and you can feel like you understand it, but it's deeper than, it's deeper than people have traveled. You know, there's more there. There's, God is deeper and his word is deeper, and so... So again, I discovered there's more here than I realized. And I also understood that this story, there's people here that don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about Abraham and Isaac at the base of the mountain and what's going to happen today. And I guess for you, if you don't know the story, I suppose before I read the first two verses, you might want to brace yourself a little bit uh, because for most of the people in the room, this is probably old news, but if you're hearing this for the first time, it might catch you off guard. Let me go ahead and read those first two verses. Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Um, take your son whom you love and, and, and burn him. That's what was told. Right away, the Bible tells you that this was a test. So I'll let you know no one is going to die today. Uh, but it still strikes you as, uh, well, what kind of God would even put someone through a test like that? Doesn't sound very, doesn't sound very loving and kind, does it? Well, 
God is telling us something in this story about himself. And if you think you know once more, if you think you know there's more here, there's... Abraham, if you've been with us, maybe you know this, but I'll tell you the great thing about Abraham. He had a special relationship with God. Now, there's a lot of people in the Bible that God is not pleased with. And we're still at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, and we've already learned that. We've seen it very, we've seen it very clearly, um, notably the flood. If you know that story, um, there's a lot of people in the Bible that God's not pleased with. But Abraham is called a friend of God. That's something. You see that in, a couple times in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, Abraham, a friend of God. What does it mean to be a friend of God? Well, we're going to see that also. Actually, you see it. You see it before, before you, Abraham. Abraham's gonna, uh, he's gonna show his faith in a, in a mighty way after climbing the mountain. You're gonna see all that, but before it all, before it all, in the very first verse that we read, God says to Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Right here, there's something. Right here, there's something. Or we can see, we can see what it means to be a friend of God. So I've told you this before, perhaps you recall. Ancient Hebrew literature, such as the book of Genesis, a lot of times it makes very important points in subtle ways. And one of the mechanisms that you very often see is repeating a certain word or repeating a certain phrase as a way to draw your attention to that word or to that phrase and to get you to ask questions. What's going on here? Um, we've, we've, we've been through that before, but I can tell you that's what's going on here. In these uh, first 10 or 11 verses of Genesis 22, that little phrase, here I am, is spoken three times by Abraham. Here I am. Here I am. As if the author, again, God, is, is trying to show you something about Abraham. Um, hold that thought. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive in more about what it means to be a friend of God and about what God is showing through this story about himself. Father God... Uh, let us see you in your goodness and trust you and let our hearts be um, awakened um, to your goodness and let us trust you today even more. Um, guide me to that end and, uh, and let us worship you in spirit and truth. Amen. God says to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am, and that means something. There's a point there that God wants us to see. Well, what is it? Uh, to understand that, I think it's good for us to rewind, right? Uh, this is still the very beginning of the Bible, but a lot has taken place so far. Um, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, and then God created people. And the reason he made people, says it in the Bible, the reason he made people is to bear his image, to see him and reflect him, to display the character of God. And it actually occurred to me that life would be so much easier if we weren't made for this purpose. <laughs> uh, that's a major thing that God is doing on the mountain here. God is going to glorify himself and show himself through Abraham. Life would be so much easier if we were just made to just, I don't know, eat and drink and enjoy things. But we were created for a better purpose, 
although it's not always easier, it's better. Uh, we were made to know him and reflect him, to display who God is through our lives. Well, there was someone who didn't like that, and so emerged in chapter 3 a deceiver, the serpent. And he came with a lie. He came with lies. The first lie, it was, did God really say? God had said, don't do this. Don't eat of this fruit. And we won't get into the story, but God said, don't do this. And the serpent emerged and he said, did God really say? Did God really say? And that's still a lie that rings out today. You know, we have the scriptures. God has shown himself through the scriptures. And very common sentiment is, those are just stories written by people. Dive into the scriptures and you'll find out they're more than stories written by people. But anyways, that lie on that day, it didn't work. It didn't work. The serpent tried. Did God really say? And the, the woman was like, yeah, he did, actually. <laughs> she got it a little wrong. She, I mean, but she, she got the substance essentially right. Um, that didn't work. So the serpent tried another lie. And that lie stuck. That lie worked. Um, what he essentially said was, okay, yeah, God said it. God said don't eat of it. But that's because he doesn't want you to be happy. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what was going on. It's because he knows that if you eat it, then you're going to find your true potential and fulfillment. And God just wants to hold you back. God just wants to restrict you from who you really are, from real happiness. And beloved, that's the lie that still rings out today. You can't trust him with your life. If you trust him with your life, you're going to be sacrificing true happiness and I can tell you in advance, that's, that's the idea that Abraham had to wrestle with in Genesis 22. But the lie was, God can't be trusted. The lie was, God is not good. You can't really trust him. Like I say, that lie took hold. Um, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they... They sinned, and what happened after that was uh, they realized they were naked, and they made some fig tree, fig leaves, some coverings, and uh, then they heard the sound of God, and when they heard the sound of God, they hid in the woods, behind the trees, <laughs> um, which is, is really funny to me because God can still see you. <laughs> um, but, but they hid, uh, and the reason they hid, eventually, you know, God called them out, and Adam said that, I hid from you because I was naked. What does that mean? Well, to be naked um, and to allow yourself to be seen, it requires a lot of trust, doesn't it? You have to trust the person. Trust was broken. Uh, the man and the woman did not trust God. They did not trust his goodness. They did not trust him to really give themselves to him. And so they hid. And the thing with God, the, the thing with, with his gaze is it penetrates. They were already wearing fig leaf garments, you know. But they knew that wasn't sufficient. You're still naked before him. Um, his, his gaze sees everything to the secrets of our heart. That's rather scary, isn't it? It's rather scary, and it's just easier to hide. And so it is with sinners. That's the posture of sinners. It's what we do. We, we hide from God. It's really what it means to be a sinner. In the deep places of our heart, we hide. We don't, we don't give ourselves. 
How do people hide from God today? Well, the most obvious is unbelief. You know, simple, you know, classic unbelief. There's no, there's no creator. All of this happened by itself. Life and love and beauty and music and such. It all just happened by itself. That's just hiding behind a tree, isn't it? You know, it's, sometimes it's comforting to tell yourself things that aren't true because, well, it's scary sometimes to, to be exposed to what is true. And so I can speak about that because I used to hide behind that tree quite well. I used to cling to that tree. And yeah, that's a, that's a tree that people hide behind for sure. But interestingly, in the Bible, that doesn't seem to be the main way people hide. The main way that people hide from God isn't um, that kind of unbelief. It's an unbelief that masquerades itself as something else. The main way that you see people hide in the Bible is through, and this might strike you as odd, it's through religion and good deeds. Isn't that weird? It's through religion and good deeds. That's the main way that people hide in the Bible. Where in your heart, you're, you're not really giving yourself to him and letting him see you and, and considering him. You're not really seeking him in your heart and in spirit and truth. But instead, you're doing religious things and you're doing good things. Perhaps going to church or some sort of ritual. And you can tell yourself, I'm a good and religious person. So you're kind of hiding behind those things while in the heart not actually giving yourself to him. I mean, that happens actually on the very next page. You have Adam and Eve's their son Cain. He comes with some religion. He comes with a sacrifice. And he's rejected on the spot. And I can tell you why. Uh, he came with a sacrifice but he didn't really bring his heart. He didn't really give himself. He didn't really come out from among the trees and allow himself to, to know and be known. Well, with that understanding, perhaps we can understand why God is drawing our attention to the friend of God, Abraham. When God calls him, Abraham says, here I am. I'm right here. You can, you can, you can see me. I'm right here. Consider uh, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I think it, it captures the heart quite well. It goes like this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is really what it means when you say, here I am to God. You know he sees you. You know his penetrating gaze sees everything. It searches. This is really the only way to come before him. Search me. Know me. See, see my innermost thoughts. And he says, see if there's any offensive way in me. Is in, if there's anything wrong in me, maybe I don't even know about it, but you do, and lead me. Maybe there's something wrong in me, and maybe I kind of know it, but maybe I kind of deny it. I don't know. I don't know the depths of my heart like you do. But even with my sin, here I am, God. There's stuff here that's probably not good. There's stuff here that's probably not good that I don't even know about. Yet nevertheless, here I am. I trust you. And anything that's not good, I just trust you to just lead me and take me to what is good. Here I am. That's, that's being a, a friend of God. That's what makes Abraham special. So, how did Abraham get to that place of trust? Because it does take a lot of trust to just say to God, totally naked, here I am, and before God, we're all naked. But it takes a lot of trust to acknowledge that and step out from the trees, right? How did Abraham get to this place? Because keep in mind, here in Genesis chapter 22, 
Well, that's kind of like the end of Abraham's story. His story is wrapping up, and then the story in Genesis is going to start focusing on his kids, grandkids and such. Um, well, Abraham has been walking with the Lord for like 35, 40 some years now. His story didn't start out this way, though. It didn't start out with this place of, of trust. We talked about it two weeks ago in our little refresher on Abraham when God first called him. said, Abraham, I, I, have, a, I have a promise for you. Abraham, I have a promise for you, and I'm going to bless you. And at first, Abraham's like, yes. At first, Abraham's like, let's do it. And he worshiped. And he was happy. And then if you remember, trouble came about. There was a famine. And that's when Abraham's like, oh, I didn't expect that. You know, people often ask the question, like, how can God be trusted with, with all of this hardship in the world? How can, we, how can God be trusted with all this hardship in my life? You can bet that Abraham was feeling those things when the famine struck. And so, what did he do? In his heart, he went back into hiding. He stopped trusting God, and he sinned. You can, you can listen to the video two weeks ago to, if you want to hear that story in detail. But he sinned. He stopped trusting God, and, and sinning is hiding from God. It's the same thing. And so he sinned. But what happens after that is, is truly astonishing. How does God respond to the sin of Abraham? God blesses him. What you learn is, in God's relationship with Abraham, in God's special relationship with Abraham, the promise of God is greater than the sin of Abraham. The promise is greater. You see, God made a promise. God, Abraham, I promised you I was going to bless you. Well, I sinned. Yeah, but I promised. His promise is greater. And so Abraham sins, and he learns that God is still with him, caring for him, taking care of him. And the story goes on. The years go on. Abraham is not done sinning, by the way. Abraham is not done learning this lesson. Abraham sins some more, and God does what God does. God shows himself to be faithful to his promise. God keeps caring for him, leading him, loving him in this special relationship. And so now, when God says to Abraham, take your son whom you love, Abraham, Abraham, you can bet he is uh, torn. And we're going to see that. We're going we're gonna to walk through the story. But he's learned that this is a God that you can trust. Um, let's look at the story. Uh, Genesis 22, begin verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham. He said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Okay, first, these eight verses, it's supposed to feel really heavy. And it's supposed to feel really sad. Uh, 
God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, your only son whom you love, take him and offer him as a burnt offering. And, and just the way the narrative plays out with the little details, um, Isaac looking up at his dad. Abraham has waited so long for this boy. He waited, he waited 25 years for this child to be born. Uh, he loves him. Uh, Isaac looks up at his dad and says, Dad, where's, where's the lamb? And Abraham has to answer this question. Um, it's supposed to feel heavy. It's supposed to feel sad. But the reason for that isn't, it isn't what you might think. Uh, so, so first, let's consider Abraham. Let's consider what's going through his mind. We've already said that Abraham has learned how to trust God. And we saw that when he stepped out and said, here I am. Before Abraham is able to offer his son, that's an external thing. The internal thing that really set Abraham apart is he's willing to offer himself. God, here I am. So Abraham trusts God. But does that mean that Abraham is just on this journey and climbing Mount Moriah, just whistling like, <laughs> you know, it's just an ordinary day in the sun? Uh, no, no. Abraham feels the darkness, you can bet. But he's doing what we all have to do and he's walking by faith. I can tell you exactly how it's playing out. He's walking on this journey, and with every step, God is good. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God loves me. God loves Isaac. God's going to care for us. God is good. God, I trust you. Every step, that's what he's saying. And sometimes that's how we walk, isn't it? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're surrounded by darkness, you just keep your eye on the staff of the shepherd and, and you just take one step. I trust you, I trust you. You see, there's something... Um, there's something specific going through Abraham's mind. It's a little more than that. He trusts God, and I'm convinced he doesn't really know what's going to happen. He says to his servant, me and the boy are going to be back. He says both of us are going to be back. That's his faith speaking. He doesn't know how. He plans on going to the mountain. He plans on doing what God said. But his faith says both of us are going to be back. In the New Testament, in Hebrews, it says Abraham supposed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. <laughs> um, he didn't know what was going to happen. And he tells his boy, God will provide the sacrifice. At that point, to be honest, I think Abraham is just speaking off the cuff, <laughs> not knowing that he's prophesying. Um, Abraham, uh, here's the deal. God made promises to Abraham and some of them were rather specific. And God specifically promised that Abraham would bring forth a great nation of descendants, and it would happen through Isaac. God already said that. And Abraham has learned that God keeps his promises no matter what. So God is saying, sacrifice your son Isaac, and Abraham is thinking, I don't know how this is going to play out, but the boy is going to live. If he has to rise from the dead, he will rise from the dead. Because that is easier to believe than the idea of God breaking his promise. Because he doesn't break his promises. That's how Abraham is walking by faith. God is faithful. God is going to do what God said he would do. Okay, but the passage is supposed to feel really sad. Why is that? Well, like I said, we're creating God's image and God is telling his story through us. And here Abraham is walking up the mountain with his son 
carrying the affections of the father. God is telling his own story through Abraham. Let me explain. When God calls Abraham, he says to do this, look at the language. He says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. If you want to get technical, Isaac wasn't Abraham's only son. There was Ishmael. Ishmael's not around right now. But regardless, it's not technically his only son. But what's going on here is this, and you're going to see this as we look at the details of these eight verses and then some. This story is about more than Abraham. It's about a bigger story. Um, this, even this language, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. I mean, that's, that's New Testament language. In fact, it's the, the most well-known verse in the Bible. I, I asked Chad GTP that this week. <laughs> The most well-known verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. The God who did not spare his son on the mountain but gave him up for us all. That's what this story is really about. God who loved the world enough to do this painful thing that Abraham is, is going through. Give your son your only son. And you see that even more with the little details. Um, Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering. Um, this, is, this is verse 5. Takes the wood for the burnt offering. No, excuse me, verse 6. Takes the wood for the burnt offering and he puts it on, he puts it on Isaac. On his back, I suppose. He puts it on his son Isaac, and Isaac carries the wood up the mountain. It's the very same thing that happened 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later. It's the very same thing where Jesus, with the wood for his execution on his back, he walked up the mountain. And that really begs the question who is the son of Abraham? Who really is the son of Abraham? Later in this chapter, God says to Abraham, through your offspring, and if you want to get technical, the word is a singular, through your offspring, through your seed, all the families on the earth will be blessed. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. The very first verse of the very first book of the New Testament, it opens like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of Abraham. It's, it's who this story is really about. And actually, when, when Isaac asks his dad, hey, dad, where's the lamb? Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide the lamb that we need for the sacrifice and that is the entirety, really, of the Christian message. It's the heart of it. It's the focus. Um, the reason why it's scary to come out from behind the tree is because we know we're guilty. As sinners, God made us with a sense of the knowledge of his goodness and righteousness. And with that comes the knowledge of our comparative sinfulness. It, it's in us. You can't escape it. Once more, God made us this way. And so we know, we know that God is a God of justice. And then that becomes even more problematic because justice demands a payment. Justice demands justice. And so we know that we need a sacrifice. We know that we need a payment. A punishment is due. A payment is due. And the good news is God himself will provide the lamb God himself will provide that payment. And that's the love of the Father. Giving Jesus to be our payment, to be our sacrifice, to die in our place. To bear, to bear our sins. And when you keep reading, beginning in verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Um, Abraham was going to do it and God stopped him and that's when he saw a ram, which is a, a male lamb. He saw a ram. Just little details catch me. Uh, he, was, he was caught by his horns in a thicket. I suppose it's, it's slightly... Um, uh, perhaps I could say that it was, it was, a, it was a, a lamb wearing a crown of thorns. And, and this, this ram, this, this lamb that was caught by the horns in the thicket, it says that uh, he, he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And this is what we mean when we say that Jesus is our substitution. Um, it's the punishment we deserve, the, the punishment for our sin. Jesus dies in our place. He's our substitute. It's this, this is the Christian message very much written down for us 1,500 years before, before Jesus was born. It's stories like this that really should testify the Bible isn't just a book of stories written by man. It's the great story, God telling his story for all of us. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide if you know a little, a little Hebrew or you've been around church, maybe you've heard this phrase, uh, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, he's the God that provides. Um, and this is, this is why we should trust him. Um, what is it that God provides for us? Let's, let's jump to the New Testament for a moment and look at Romans 8, verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God didn't, God who did not spare his own son. Isaac was spared, wasn't he? But on Mount Calvary, um, Jesus wasn't spared. God gave him up. And that's supposed to tell us something. That's supposed to tell us. That's supposed to show us something. God demonstrates his love in this, that he was willing to give up Jesus. And what it's saying here is that's why we should trust him. That's why it's, it's okay to come out from the trees and say, here I am, because he's shown himself to be a God of love and forgiveness. And not only that, not as if Jesus wasn't enough, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, meaning if that's who he is and that's his character, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What is God willing to provide for us? Everything. Everything. Does that mean that life is going to be easy? It wasn't easy walking up Mount Moriah. Abraham, I'll tell you that. And this, this whole passage is, is how we go through hard times. In Romans 8, you can look at it. Famine, persecution, your sword and stuff. We go through hard times. But the promise is God's going to work it out for good for you. God's going to work it out for good for you. Sometimes he calls us to leave stuff. Sometimes he calls us to lay things down. Uh, I'm a little past my time, but I'm going to have to tell this story regardless. So just sit there. <laughs> uh, I came across this quote by Matthew Henry. I've talked to you guys before. Matthew Henry's, 
he wrote a commentary on the whole Bible that's just a masterpiece. It's a good thing to have with you when you're studying the Bible. Um, he said, our creature comforts, like our, our physical enjoyments in this world, our creature comforts are most likely to be continued to us when we are most willing to resign them up to God's will. As in, what Matthew Henry is saying is, usually when God will ask us to give something up for him, he's usually going to give us, he's going to let us keep it or give us something else. Um, that's just something Matthew Henry came to learn, and it's really what Abraham experienced on the mountain, isn't it? Um, and there's been times in my life that I've experienced this, and it occurred to me that I don't know if I've ever shared with all y'all, you know, the story of when we got here. If you've ever been to my house, I've told you the story because it's a story that I tell because it's a story I'll never forget. But, uh, but I don't know if I've shared it with all of you. If I have, sit through it again. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but I don't think I have. Uh, three years ago, I was really excited to come to Montreal. God had really made it clear that he was calling me and Aaron and the family to come. I'd never been to Montreal. I was excited to come. I knew that it meant leaving a lot of things. And for the most part, I was okay with that. There were some sad things. But materially speaking, material speaking, creature comforts, the thing that I was most sad about was leaving our house. Oh, my, oh, my, I loved our house so much. It was almost like a house that was like, I remember my wife and I said this, like the house we had, it was almost like God took the house of our dreams and like made it a reality. Uh, we lived in Wausau, Wisconsin, and Wausau, Wisconsin was actually in the New York Times a couple weeks ago because it was ranked number one on the most affordable place to live in the United States <laughs> um, regarding like uh, wages and home prices. We had a beautiful, beautiful Victorian house. It might have even been considered like a mansion in its day. It was three stories and a basement and a two-car, two-story garage. It had a sunroom. It had a greenhouse. It had a sauna that I built with my own hands. Um, we restored this 100-year-old home. It was built in 1905. It was beautiful. It'd be, it'd be in a magazine. And we sold it for a price that you could not buy a single thing on the island of Montreal for, not even a one-bedroom condo. <laughs> not an exaggeration. Wausau is the most affordable place to live in the country. And we're packing up our stuff, and I'm like Googling, and I'm looking at the homes for sale in Montreal and what they cost. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Lord. For one, all these homes are boring. <laughs> That's what I thought to myself, because my wife and I, we love old homes. And in the West Island, most of them are built in the whatever, 80s or 90s, and a lot of people like that. It's just our preference was we like old homes. Oh, well, I was pretty sad about that. And I have my friend Zach over, um, a young, faith-filled man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm excited to go. I'm really sad to leave this house. I just... I just feel like God's just not going to give us a house that we love as much as this one. And he's like, well, if you're going to stop trusting God, I'll just have to trust him for you. <laughs> and he was kind of trying to rebuke me in like a, a nice way. And it, he, really what he caught in me was kind of an attitude of like, why do you think that? I mean, it's true. God doesn't always give us the things we want in this life when we want it. But I've come to learn that he often does. <laughs> you know, like, we, I, I should be walking with an attitude of, like, I've come to learn that he's a pretty good provider. Like, why are you acting like that's not going to happen? And I heard it. I was like, all right, Zach, I hear you. You make a good point. And anyways, uh, so while we were still in the U.S., um, very shortly before we came, before we left, I... Uh, I remember very specifically holding hands with my wife because we were looking like online at these homes for sale, none of them with we were really excited about that we could maybe afford. And I remember we held hands and we're like, we're like, uh, Lord, the home that we buy, can we not like find it in the normal way? 
but instead, can it kind of fall in our lap and just come to us? You know, you pray things like that. And two, maybe three days later, um, we're looking for temporary housing, a place to live for just a few months while we find a house to buy. And I found a little apartment in Point Claire. And I was like, this is fine, this'll do. And, and Becky, she's over there somewhere, Becky, she finds this house for rent. And she sends me a link for it and says, hey, you should rent this house. You know, just temporary until you find a house to stay in, a house to buy, that is. And I look at this house for rent, and I told her, no way. I am not renting this house because this house is beautiful and wonderful. It's got a huge kitchen. You know how much I love to cook. It's got a big backyard. It's beautiful. It's old. It's like 100 years old, just like my other house. I am not renting this house just to stay there for three months and then be really sad when we have to go buy a boring house. I'm not doing it. And I was very serious. I was like, no, this is a no. Um, but she convinced me. She's like, well, you're going to be in quarantine for two weeks with your kids, this is, you know, during high COVID. And you're going to need a backyard. And I'm just like, fine. I'll call the lady. And so in Wisconsin, um, I called uh, the woman who was renting this house. And she says, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not going to rent it to you. Sorry, I, I, I should have taken that ad down. Uh, I'm not going to rent the house because I've decided I only want to sell it. And it was just like a moment where like, I don't know how, but this is what God's doing. It was just like, it was like so clear to me. And then it was like she wanted more money than we had. <laughs> Lena, I don't know if Lena's here today. Lena, our realtor, was basically like, yeah, you can't afford this house. And I was like, I, I was like, Lena, just, God is doing something. You just need to watch and see. <laughs> and uh, we got some money in some unexpected places. And, um, well, he... Here we are. I mean, there's a little more to the story, but I'll, you can imagine how it ends. And um, God provides. God, if God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him, him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? What I'm trying to tell you is God is a God that you can trust. And sometimes that means hard times. I really, really love our house, but the truth is it could burn down tomorrow. I mean, that could happen. There's no promises that those hard times won't come. But this is, this is what we do know. If the house burns down, the God who gave us the house is still alive. And the God who gave us the house, Jehovah Jireh, is going to continue to care and provide. And so my big exhortation to you, actually, I will say it this way. It says it here in Psalm 26, verse 2 and 3. Test me, Lord, and try me. This is a man coming out from the tree. This is, this, is, this is here I am. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. I'm yours. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Why should you say here I am to God? Is he's good. He cares. He's someone that you can trust. Father God, help us trust you and help us give ourselves to you like Abraham did. And let us too be called a friend of God. Let it be said of us that we are friends of God. And Lord, tell your story through us. Lord. Um, amen. One question. So Sorry about that. That's, that's my okay. fault. That's okay. That's okay. It was good. It was good stuff. So I'll invite the band to come back up. But um, we have Roald down here. Um, and if parents want to go get their children, this is the time. And if you don't want to, you still have to go. Uh, so do we have a mic coming to Roald? He's sitting over here.
Um, in what you told us about Abraham, the Lord is asking Abraham to trust him. We are all parents uh, asked to trust the Lord. And today as parents, we need to learn to what we call now, let go, I think. What, what do you think, uh, Charlie? You know, it's really true. It's, uh, as a parent, um, it's very easy to feel like you care about your children more than God does. <laughs> and it's very easy to kind of look at your children and kind of forget who you were when you were their age, but that's besides the point. It's very easy to look at your children and say, God, where are you? What's going on? Um, and there's this, there's a, an element of just, Lord, I just give them to you. Um, this, is, this is yours. Um, it's just, I, I trust you. <laughs> um, not as a burnt offering, of course, <laughs> but uh, as, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we, we too give our children out. We have to. All right, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to continue with worshiping. Father, thank you that you are a God who is with us and who um, gives us every good thing, that every good and, and perfect gift that we have comes from you. And I pray that you would allow us to trust in you all the more today because of the words that we've heard and the things that we've seen in this story of Abraham's trust. And I pray that you would make that our trust as well. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in our unbelief, Lord, that you would help us to believe that you would open our eyes to the things that you are doing when it feels like nothing's happening and that you would empower us to trust when we feel like we can't see it, but Lord, that you're always working and that's a truth that we can walk in. And so I pray that you would strengthen that in our souls. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>